Story thirteen of Captures by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story thirteen A Long Ago Affair. Hubert Marsland, the landscape painter, returning from a day's sketching on the river in the summer of nineteen twenty one, had occasion to stay the progress of his two-seater about ten miles from London for a minor repair and while his car was being seen to, strolled away from the garage to have a look at a house where he had often spent his holidays as a boy. Walking through a gateway, and passing a large gravel pit on his left, he was soon opposite the house, which stood back a little in its grounds. Very much changed, more pretentious, not so homely as when his uncle and aunt lived there, and he used to play cricket on this warren opposite where the cricket ground, it seemed, had been turned into a golf course. It was late, the dinner hour, nobody playing, and passing on to the links, he stood digesting the geography. Here must have been where the old pavilion was, and there, still turfed, where he had made that particularly nice stroke to leg, when he went in last and carried his bat for thirteen. Thirty-nine years ago, his sixteenth birthday, how vividly he remembered his new pads. A. P. Lucas had played against them and only made thirty-two. One founded one's style on A. P. Lucas in those days, feet in front of the bat, and pointed a little forward. Elegant. You never saw it now, and a good thing too. One could sacrifice too much to style. Still, the tendency was all the other way. Style was too much off, perhaps. He stepped back into the sun and sat down on the grass, peaceful, very still. The haze of the distant downs was visible between his uncle's old house and the next, and there was the clump of elms on the far side, behind which the sun would be going down just as it used to then. He pressed the palms of his hands to the turf. A glorious summer, something like that summer of long ago, and warmth from the turf, or perhaps from the past, crept into his heart, and made it ache a little. Just here he must have sat, after his innings, at Mrs. Monteith's feet, peeping out of a flounced dress. Lord, the fools boys were! How headlong and uncalculating their devotions! A softness in voice and eyes, a smile, a touch or two, and they were slaves! Young fools, but good young fools! and standing behind her chair, he could see him now, that other fool, Captain Mackay, with his face of browned ivory, just the colour of that elephant's tusk his uncle had, which had gone so yellow, and his perfect black moustache, his white tie, check suit, carnation, spats, malacca cane, all so fascinating. Mrs. Monteith, the grass widow, they called her, he remembered the look in people's eyes, the tone in their voices. Such a pretty woman! He had fallen for her at first sight, as the Yanks put it, her special scent, her daintiness, her voice. And that day on the river, when she made much of him, and Captain Mackay attended Evelyn Curtis so assiduously that he was expected to propose. Quaint period! They used the word courting then, wore full skirts, high stays, and himself a blue elastic belt round his white flannelled waist. 
and in the evening afterwards his aunt had said with an arch smile, "'Good night, silly boy!' Silly boy indeed, with a flower the grass widow had dropped, pressed by his cheek into his pillow. What folly! And that next Sunday, looking forward to church, passionately brushing his top hat, all through the service, spying at her creamy profile, two pews in the front on the left, between goat-bearded old Halgrave, her uncle, and her pink, broad, white-haired aunt, scheming to get near her when she came out, lingering, lurking, getting just a smile and the rustle of her flounces. Aha! A little went a long way then, and the last day of his holidays, and its night, with the first introduction to reality. Who said the Victorian age was innocent? Marsland put his palm up to his cheek. No, the dew was not falling, and his mind lightly turned and tossed his memories of women, as a man turns and tosses hay to air it, but nothing remembered gave him quite the feeling of that first experience. His aunt's dance, his first white waistcoat, bought ad hoc from the local tailor, his tie laboriously imitating the hero, Captain McKay's, all came back with such freshness in the quiet of the warren, the expectancy, the humble shy excitement, the breathless asking for a dance, the writing, Mrs. Monteith, twice on his little gilt-edged program, with its tiny tasseled white pencil, her slow-moving fan, her smile. And the first dance when it came, what infinite care not to tread on her white satin toes, what a thrill when her arm pressed his in the crush, such holy rapture, about all the first part of that evening, with yet another dance to come. If only he could have twirled her and reversed, like his pattern, Captain McKay. Then delirium growing, as the second dance came near, making him cut his partner, the cool grass-scented air, out on the dark terrace, with the chafers booming by and in the starshine the poplars wondrously tall, the careful adjustment of his tie and waistcoat, the careful polishing of his hot face. A long breath then, and into the house to find her. Ballroom, supper-room, stairs, library, billiard-room, all drawn blank. Estudiantina, going on and on, and he a wandering, white-waistcoated young ghost. Ah, the conservatory, and the hurrying there. And then the moment, which has always been, was even now, such a blurred, confused impression, smothered voices from between a clump of flowers. I saw her. Who was the man? A glimpse, gone past in a flash, of an ivory face, a black moustache, and then her voice. Hubert! And her hot hand, clasping his, drawing him to her, her scent, her face smiling, very set. A rustling behind the flowers, those people spying, and suddenly her lips on his cheek, the kiss sounding in his ears, her voice saying very softly, Hubert, dear boy. The rustle receded, ceased. What a long, silent minute. Then, among the ferns and blossoms in the dusk, with her face close to his, pale, perturbed, before she led him out into the light, while he was slowly realizing that she had made use of him to shelter her, 
a boy not old enough to be her lover but old enough to save her name and that of captain mckay her kiss the last of many oh no not upon his lips his cheeks hard work realizing that a boy of no account a boy who in a day would be at school again kissed that he and she might renew their intrigue unsuspected how he had behaved the rest of that evening of romance bedrabbled he hardly knew betrayed with a kiss two idols in the dust and did they care what he was feeling not they all they cared for was to cover up their tracks with him but somehow somehow he had never shown her that he knew only when their dance was over and someone came and took her for the next he escaped up to his little room tore off his gloves his waistcoat lay on his bed thought bitter thoughts a boy there he had stayed with the thrum of the music in his ears till at last it died away for good and the carriages were gone and the night was quiet sitting on the warren grass still warm and dewless marsland rubbed his knees nothing like boys for generosity and with a little smile he thought of his aunt next morning half arch and half concerned it isn't nice dear to sit out in dark corners and well perhaps it wasn't your fault but still it isn't nice not quite and of how suddenly she had stopped looked in his face where his lips were curling in his first ironic laugh she had never forgiven him that laugh thinking him a cynical young lothario and marsland thought live and learn wonder what became of those two victorian age hatches were battened down in those days but innocent my hat ah the sun was off dew falling he got up rubbing his knees to take the stiffness out of them pigeons in the wood beyond were calling a window in his uncle's old home blazed like a jewel in the sun's last rays between the poplar trees heh <laughs> dear a little long ago affair End of story 13